this morning. Uh, Steve Friedman came out to us by Kansas Church. One word, K-I-D-S. No, no, S. Ken Pinter. Ken Church.
That one works. We're gonna be okay. I don't wanna blow everybody away. Unless it's theologically. Silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at the sight. Glory stream from heaven afar. Heavenly hosts sing. Alleluia. Christ, the Savior, is born. We are in week three of Advent, um, which I always feel like it's necessary to, you know, do a little Advent primer because for many of us, we come out of a tradition where Advent wasn't really on the calendar. Um, you know, much like Lent wasn't really on the calendar in the run-up to Easter. And simply put, Advent is a time for the believer to prepare themselves for the celebration of the birth of Christ. Um, you know, it's real easy, and, and, and it's, it's one of the reasons why we have taken to focusing on Advent, because it is incredibly useful and healthy to have a time during this four weeks, the kind of the run-up, the, the last Sunday of November up through Christmas Eve, it's healthy and it's good that we should put some time away. I'll try to pop that up a little bit. Put some time aside to just sit and be quiet and reflect. To take a break from the distractions and the festivities and the preparations and the chaos and the mayhem and to just sit and consider the story. And not, not to be glib, but I mean to focus on the reason for the season. All the rest is good and wonderful, and I love every last bit of it. But if we, especially we as believers, don't take time to focus on the story, all the rest is irrelevant. So it's good that we should do this. Um, a couple weeks ago, the last Sunday of November, Tracy, Tracy shared with us about joy, and then last week about peace. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about love, but today I want to talk to you about hope. And uh, hope is, it's interesting, I just mentioned this to Tracy this morning, hope is such a critical part of this story, and yet hope is never mentioned in the verses I'm going to share with you this morning. But let's just stop and let's just think. I want to give you a little bit of backstory before we get to the shepherds. Right now, these shepherds, they're not right now literally, but right now uh, narratively, the shepherds are in a field keeping watch by night. But the shepherds are doing so in one of the most hopeless times in Israel's history. This story takes place around 5 or 6 BC. Uh, if nobody's ever done this before, I hate to be the one, but Jesus was not born in year zero. Yeah, I know, I know. It's crazy. But so we're looking at like year 5 or 6 BC, before the big O. And um, at this point in Israel's history, when this story takes place, the last prophet of the Lord was Malachi, which, interestingly enough, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Does you see how that works like that? The thing is, Malachi did his work. Malachi spoke the message of the Lord a good 400 years prior to this time. The last prophet of the Lord was 400 years ago. 
And in that time, there has been no, as far as we can tell, as far as every written record we've discovered, there has been no communication, direct communication from God to his people. So with the exception possibly of, not possibly, with the exception of the time spent in Egypt, this is the most dark and hopeless time the, the people of Israel, God's chosen people, have ever endured. Now, admittedly, unlike is, uh, their time in Egypt, they've got, you know, every town has a synagogue where they can go on the Sabbath and they can, they can hear the scriptures uh, and they can be taught. But even then, we have to wonder at the teaching they were getting because remember when Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount, people were amazed at the power of his message because all the other religious leaders they knew didn't have that kind of power when they were teaching. And certainly, just as the towns had the synagogue, you know, in Jerusalem, there was the temple and there was the high priest. And they continued with their religious duties. They continued with the annual sacrifice and, you know... The assumption that as long as I take part in the sacrifice, I'm good with God, I guess. I mean, that's not a lot to build hope on. And then beyond that, just politically speaking, this is just as big a mess as Israel has ever been in. Several hundred years prior, the Greeks had come through. Alexander the Great came through, conquered everything. I weep for I have no more kingdoms to conquer, blah, 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 blah. The Greeks took over all of Palestine, which was the entire region. And then Alexander died, and we went through a, a cycle of a couple of his generals who took to warring with each other, as they do. Uh, eventually, the Jews got tired of it, and they're like, we want to be our own people with our own king and do our own thing as they always want to do, and so they rose up, and they overthrew the Greeks, and they kicked them out, and they installed a king and a high priest, and things were good like they were back in the day up until the guy who thought he should be king and the guy who was king and civil war, as they tend to do. And finally, there came the point where uh, the Romans. And once the Romans show up on the thing, scene, things just are not going to be good for anybody except the Romans. So you now have Israel. They haven't had direct communication from God in about 400 years. They're once again living under the heel of a, of a foreign oppressor. And, and there's, there's the belief, I suppose, because scripture tells them there will come a day. But, you know, just like for many of us, scripture tells us there will come a day when Jesus will come back. But how many of us truly believe we're going to see that day on this side of the grave? Well, up until about nine months ago, now I, yeah, I would lay even money on that. So that's where we find ourselves, just hopeless. And if it wasn't bad enough that just the state of Israel is hopeless, we're dealing with shepherds who are hopeless. Um, it, it, the most positive light you can cast it in is that at this time in Jewish society, the shepherds were the bottom of the social ladder. Uh, I, I came across some, some suggestions that perhaps they were considered even as low as the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the lepers. But I just can't imagine that's right. Because even Jesus is described as a shepherd. So, so I don't imagine they were complete outcasts, but they were, they were like so far down here, so far at the bottom of the social ladder that we would now be calling them essential workers. Um, you know, they, uh, they don't have any real talent. They don't have any real skill. They don't have any real ability. Um, you know, they're not the sharpest tools in the shed. Uh, quite honestly, all they need to be is just 
a half step smarter than sheep and be able to swing a stick at big scary animals. And that, that is like the criteria for a lifelong, lifetime career in, in the shepherding industry. And yet that is who we start our story with. So the shepherds are like, well, well let's, let's let the story tell you the story. So starting in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. All right, so here we are. Shepherds are out there. It's dark. It's cold. I imagine they're dozing off. I imagine, you know, the night shift was pretty much sleep with the assumption that if anything went bad, the sheep would make enough noise to wake you up. I imagine. I have no basis on which to base that other than that's what it seems like it is to me. So they're out here, and all of a sudden, and you got, you got to remember, it's dark. It's the kind of dark we don't understand. It's the kind of dark there's like two dozen places left on earth you can find because there's no illumination anywhere. So it's just pitch black. And all of a sudden, the sky is split open by this amazing light. And there before these shepherds is an angel. And they are, uh, according to the original uh, language used here, freaked. They are just, because they're shepherds. They are nothing special. They are low of the low. Nobody comes to talk to shepherds. And if an angel of the Lord shows up in front of a bunch of shepherds, it's probably not a good thing. Well, I mean, one was like, Bob, what did you do? And Bob's like, I don't remember. And he's like, it's all over. And so, as tends to happen when an angel shows up on the scene, the very first thing they need to do is say, whoa, 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 whoa. It's okay. Calm down. There's nothing to fear. As a matter of fact, not only is there nothing to fear, but I am here to bring you good news. Um, one wise young man named Linus would, would phrase it as, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which it is. But the term here, good news, is, is gospel. I am here to bring you God's good news. So sit back, relax, it's okay, you're going to be fine, and let me tell you what this good news is. And the angel says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. We have become so familiar with this story and with the phrasing of it that we are no longer amazed by just what exactly happened in this short little chunk of, of text. In that short phrase, this angel laid out on these unassuming shepherds three titles that would have totally blown their minds. First and foremost, the angel says, hey, 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 hey. Right over there in Bethlehem, the city of David, the Savior. Now, regardless of their status in, in Jewish society, every young man 
king, priest, down to shepherd, would have, in their younger days, had teaching in the synagogue. They would have been taught the law. They would have been taught the prophets. And even these, these modest shepherds would understand the phrase Savior was the appointed, anointed, the one who was coming to save. They may not be clear what exactly they were being saved from, which in many cases is why so many people were reluctant to accept Jesus' claims as to who he was. But the angel says, the one who is here to save you from death and destruction and hell and judgment and condemnation and your own self is born today, the Savior is here. The Savior who is Christ. Now, maybe I already blew your mind with the whole Jesus wasn't born in the year zero. Take a step further. Maybe you didn't know this. Christ is not his name. Like, if you were looking up Jesus's number in the Jerusalem phone book or the Bethlehem phone book, Christ wouldn't be in the phone book because Christ is a title. Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word, which means Messiah. Wow, I sound, ooh, never let me hear myself again. You have no idea how far I go out of my way to never hear myself talk. It's enough for you to do. Not only is he the Savior, he is the Messiah, which they would understand to mean a very specific designation of the human leader from the kingly line of King David who was supposed to come and reestablish God's kingdom on earth. And again, there's a lot of misunderstanding about that, what that kingdom was going to look like, which led people to reject Jesus' claims. But the idea was that this leader, this Messiah, was going to establish God's kingdom in such a way that God would be in charge of everything. God's kingdom would be here on earth, and it would run as God intended it to be, with God on his throne and Jesus at his right hand. And we will see that when the messianic kingdom is established at the second coming. But this is who the angel said just showed up. Not only is he the Savior, he's the Christ. The Messiah is here. And then they, the Christ who is the Lord. The Christ who is Yahweh. The title by which God has been referred since the very beginning of Scripture, Yahweh. This, this is not a Savior from Yahweh. This is not the Messiah of Yahweh. This is Yahweh, the Lord God himself. Shepherds. Which the shepherds are even more amazed. They're like, why? On God's... Whoa, I almost went full Shatner there, and that would have been... Awesome. Um, the shepherds are like, why on God's green earth would you be telling us? What are we supposed to do with this information? But the shepherd angel's like, hey, hey, I got marching orders too, guy. I want you guys to be the first to know that the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, God himself is born this day. And in that statement, in that pronouncement, hope enters into the world in a way that it has never been before. And hope enters into a world in a way that will never be dismissed. The hope that entered into that world that day is the same hope that we have today. And with it came the joy we talked about two weeks ago, and the peace we talked about last week, and the love we talk about next week, and Emmanuel, God with us, the very presence of God all entered into the world at this one time with this one statement and the world was fundamentally changed and the first ones to get the message were shepherds and sheep. And that tells you something about God's kingdom. 
even at the pronouncement of his birth, the least are the greatest, and the greatest are the least. And so the angel drops all this news on them. They're dumbstruck. They're dumbfounded. They're speechless. They're wide-eyed. The mouths agape. Bob is over here drooling on himself because... And then more angels show up. And they start singing. And it was almost as good as what we had here this morning. Close, but not quite. And they start singing, praise to God, glory in the highest. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. And then, bam, they're gone. And then, I got to imagine, the shepherds did not have to have an extensive conversation about what do we do next. Though I do wonder, because this is how I roll, they're getting paid to watch these sheep. Every last one of them wants to go to Bethlehem and check out what just happened. So, do, like, do they all go and just leave the sheep and assume they'll be good? Like, well, the angels told us to go, so probably the angels are going to watch them. Or do they take the sheep with them? Because, you know, one sheep showing up at the Jesus birth, you know, nativity scene, it's cute and everything, blah, blah, blah. But, like, you know, several herds of sheep? Or do they, like, draw straws and, like, okay, we're all going to go, but one guy's got to stay here. I personally think they left Bob behind because Bob is just, he's checked out. He's still drooling on himself trying to figure out what he did and what just happened. And, you know, there's always that one guy in the group that's, like, the one guy. So they leave Bob there. They're like, Bob, watch the sheep. We'll tell you what happens. And bam, they're gone. They take off to Jerusalem, uh, to uh, Bethlehem. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. There's a very, very, very good chance the whole star thing, like the magi, the wise men, they needed the star to get to Bethlehem. The shepherds didn't. They knew where Bethlehem was. So there's a really good chance. No star. I know, I'm just destroying every Christmas trope there is. You take it up with the Bible. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And the shepherds made known to all what had been told to them. All seems like a big word for Mary and Joseph. So I got to wonder, were they telling other people? And again, we see the amazing transformational power of God entering into the world in the way he did in this moment because we now live in a world where shepherds are prophets of God Almighty. And hope entered into mankind. And see, the thing we don't get, the thing we so take for granted, is all these attributes that came along with God entering into the world. The peace, the joy, the hope, the love. Emmanuel, God with us, we have never known a world without that. We have never known a world that is completely joyless or, un- or peaceless, hopeless, loveless. Because even as unbelievers or even before we became believers, God's presence and God's power in all these facets were still present in the world through the conduit that is God's people. 
God's hope and power has always been present in the world since this time because God's people are present in the world and God's people are the light and God's people are the salt. And when you go out into the world and you're the salt and the light, you're spreading this hope in ways you can't understand and the people who are receiving it can't understand. And many times, even the most hopeless don't realize just how much hope they have. But before we want to we wrap up here, I, I want to make sure we're all clear what we're talking about when we say hope. See, we're not talking about hope the way we use it. Because the way we use it is completely wrong. It, it is not this. There comes a point in the transition from child to adult where we realize wish is no longer a thing. Wishing is just not going to, you know, we, oh. uh, kids, why don't you go work on your kid print sheets? Sorry. But, you know, the Christmas wish, the wish upon a star, the birthday candle wish. There comes a point in the transition to adulthood where we know that because we're adults, those things don't work for adults like they do for kids. And so we transition to the idea of hope. And when we use hope, we, we use it as a verb. Hope is something I do. And it's specifically, it's something I do when the outcome is uncertain. I, yo guys, I hope the Seahawks win. I hope, but I don't know. Man, I really hope I get this green. I hope, but I don't know. Man, I really hope the ice cream machine at McDonald's is work. We know. All right, we know. There's no uncertainty there. That kind of hope is not what God brought into the world. God's hope is something altogether different. I don't want to get this right. The hope we're talking about, per... Dallas Willard, is the confident anticipation of good. When I have the hope of God in me, I have a confident anticipation that in all things, through all things, good will come of it. Hope deepens as our experience verifies that the object of our faith is trustworthy. So we have hope. And maybe, you know, maybe we start out with just a little hope. You know, I, 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 and the hope is God is good. God loves me. God's taking care of me. And God is going to do good in, with, and for me. So right now, if things are good, I have hope. Because things are good and things remain good. Right now, if things are bad, I have hope because I have a confident anticipation that because of this bad that's going on, something good will come of it. And I have confident anticipation that on the other side of this bad, good is just around the corner. And if you're me, Right now, when things are good, I have a confident anticipation that bad is just around the corner. But that beyond that, confident anticipation that good is coming. Because God is good and God loves me. And as we experience this good, as we live in this confident anticipation, this hope, it continues to deepen. Because the first time, we're not sure. And we, I hope this works out. And it does, and God shows himself to be true. And so the next time we're up against it, we can look back at the last time and we go, you know what, God, God really took care of me that time. I, I see no reason why he wouldn't take care of me this time. I, I, I hope it works out like that. And it does, and our hope grows. And it grows, and as we experience the hope, our faith in the one who provides that hope deepens and strengthens 
to the point where no matter what we are faced with, we go, I have hope that whatever this is, God's got it. Whatever this is, God's going to do something good in it. God's going to do something good with it. God's going to do something good on the other side of it. And it's not lip service. It's who I am in here that allows me to fully and confidently believe this to be true. The attitude of hope increasingly permeates our lives as our characters come to resemble Christ's. When we live in this hope, when we live in this confident anticipation of the goodness and power of God to order our lives and everything that comes into them, when something bad comes out of nowhere and we can face it and go, you know what? God knew this was coming even before it happened. I believe he can take care of it and I believe he's going to see me through. And there is not a moment of doubt in us. That is when our character is becoming more and more like the character of Christ, which is what we're here for. And so many times in my life, I can think back to years and years ago when I was younger and dumber less mature, and certainly less spiritually mature, and I would see people faced with things that I looked at and I saw as just utterly soul-crushing, and they faced them with so much strength and grace and peace, and I would go, how is that possible? Because it never dawned on me in that moment that that could be something that could be a part of me. That could be found in here. And now I've grown and matured and spent enough time with God to realize that is what he's wanting for each and every one of us. Not special cases. Each and every child of God is expected to receive and live in just this kind of hope. It's for you. It's available. And he's waiting to bestow it on you. Whether you're in the midst of good times, whether you're in the midst of bad times, he wants you to live with the confident anticipation that God is good and God is in charge of everything. And I just want to leave you with one last scripture. Think about. Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. God's plan is that we should be with him in intimate relationship. We should be with him in in fellowship and brotherhood, and we should be with him, not in a Sunday morning show up, sing a song, listen to a message, see you next week sort of way, but in a God come and indwell my life in each and every moment I breathe sort of way. And if we do, if we put that kind of investment of time into him, he will put that kind of investment of time into us, and he will pour out into us the joy and the peace that makes it possible for us to abound in hope. And you can be the person who can face any circumstance with the true, certain knowledge and confident anticipation that good is just around the corner. You bow your heads with these with closing prayer. Father, thank you so much for this day, for this season for Advent, for the opportunity to celebrate the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of our Savior, our Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you would place a burden in our hearts and spirits to dig a little deeper into the story in the next less than two weeks before Christmas Eve. Help us to see ourselves in the story. Help us to see the beauty of the story. Help us to see 
all the gifts and all the goodness poured out into our lives that we so often take for granted that are only possible because of this story. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. And may you go this day, this week, and each day of your life in the confident anticipation of the goodness of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jason. That was awesome. Um, Jason mentioned, by the way, as we were as he was closing there, Christmas Eve. Ah. <laughs> and I want to let you know about that. We will be uh, live streaming a Christmas Eve service with some uh, pre-recorded media and live from our living room at the Simmons house with some special guests uh, joining us uh, in other ways. And in preparation for that, we'll determine here in the next uh, day or so. I think you already told me dates and times. I did. I can yes? tell you again. All right, well, we're going to send those out. You want to, you want to say them right now for yeah. folks who maybe aren't on our mailing list? But if you get on our mailing list, you'll get the newsletter. And uh, we'll do a couple of special ones this week. Uh, but one will include these dates and times to pick up a wonderful little uh, gift pack that our EKG group is putting together, led by Jim and Jan Snodderly. And it will also include uh, some candles for you and your household to join us with the candle lighting at home and our Christmas Eve service this year will be uh, via Zoom so that you can actually join us. And then our plan is to share all of the stuff with you, music and special media that we normally share. And then when we get to the candlelighting time, we'll have everybody turn their cameras on and we'll be able to share those screens. And you'll be able to see some of your friends that you haven't seen maybe in a long time from church. Uh, and other folks who uh, are lighting their candles at home will be able to show uh, their cameras and put everybody up there on the screen so that we can see everybody for a little bit and sing Silent Night together. So that's our plan. We're going to make it happen. We're going to make it work one way or the other. But what are the dates to pick up their packets? Yeah, so you, you need these goodie bags. It's not just the goodies. It's the candle. You need the candle to do the candlelight <laughs> vigil because without the candlelight, it's dark. So I will be here. I will be handing out these goodie bags this Thursday three times. Write them down. This Thursday, right out front, I'll be in the Arctic entry. You just pull up. I will deliver them right to your car, 5.30 to 6.30. Next Sunday, from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m., and then the following Tuesday, again, 5.30 to 6.30. You don't show up at one of those three. You have to get your own goodies. You have to get your own candles. And we bought new candles for you this new. year. So they're going to be fresh, right out of the box. Got actual candle holders instead of uh, plastic, plastic lids cup from lids and McDonald's that we've been using the last few years. So uh, we're going high class. So join us. All right? It'll be awesome. And, uh, and I know that the, the treats and things that uh, the EKG group comes up with will be awesome. So uh, don't forget Claire House. Uh, be planning for that. It's uh, New Year's Day, food drop-off, New Year's Eve right here. Uh, 7.30 p.m., and then we're going to close out this morning with uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel in Latin uh, from uh, the Basel Cathedral in Switzerland, and uh, it's a beautiful video. Hang out with us, enjoy it, uh, spend some time thinking on what you've heard today, and uh, be blessed. I love you. Have a great week.